morning. Would you join me? Uh, Romans chapter 15, Romans 15, and while you're turning there, you've got to do two things at once. Uh, I'm going to have you, not out loud, but within yourself, be honest to see if you believe the following. You ready? Here we go. So you're in Romans 15. I think a couple of weeks ago, we were looking back at verse 4. We're not going back there. But we pulled in a text of Scripture that you should be familiar with where the Bible says, here, I want to put this before you, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is, does anybody know the next word? A little louder? Profitable. All Scripture, the ESV words it this way, all Scripture, that's this, note the word, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. So without anything verbal in your heart, I'm going to ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe both parts of it? All Scripture is breathed out and inspired. All Scripture is profitable. When the Bible says that of of itself, do you believe that? So that's a good question. You say, Jeff, why are you going back to this text in our introduction this morning? Here's why. I'm going to tell you something that most people who are going to be doing what we're going to be doing the next few weeks would not tell you about the book of Romans. Here it is. The two main points in the book of Romans are past. We're past them. Chapters 1 through 11 was this theological exposition. It's all this right thinking. Now, there was preaching in there, but it's mainly this teaching, again, getting the right thinking, exposition, theology, lots of that, doctrine, 11 chapters. Then we hit chapter 12, verse 1, who, if you really study it out, goes through chapter 15, verse 13. That's where we finished last week. And that was this practical exhortation, pleading, Take all of that doctrine and let it result in you as love and unity and serving and using your gifts and honoring people and showing hospitality and forgiving one another and making room to be different from one another on things that are not primary doctrine. We agree on those, but these lesser things we can agree to disagree on. Serve the government. Be be obedient to the government. Pay your taxes. All of that. So now we've come, literally last week, I ended the main two portions of the book of Romans. And so you may hear that and say, so what's left in this chapter and a half? Well, it's Paul's going to kind of give his perspective. He's going to give some ministry plans. He's going to give some commendation to some people. He's going to give some greetings to some folks that he knows. And he's going to close the book with a doxology. And the reason I, I open with this verse, do you really believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable I hope you do, because otherwise you may be tempted to say, well, let's just read this today and let's move on to the next book and let's see what God has for it. We've already covered the main stuff, Jeff. Don't think that way. Please don't think that way. Let God speak to you in the remainder of the book as Paul particularly shares his heart. This morning, would you read with me? I'm going to read. We're not going to cover all of this today. It's a paragraph, verses 14 to 21. Would you follow along as we read this together? Verse 14. Paul says to the Romans, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, which means my brothers and sisters. What are you satisfied about, Paul? That you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. I'm satisfied, you guys are full, you have all knowledge, you are able to instruct one another. Verse 15. But on some points I have written to you as he looks back over this long letter that he's written to them, and they would recognize the truth of verse 15. On some points I have written to you very boldly. And they probably read that and thought, you think? (laughs) Yeah, you got in our face. On some points I've written to you, hey, I'm satisfied about you. I know these things about you, but on some points I've written to you very boldly. Notice the second thought, by way of reminder. Why did you do that, Paul? Gives us a couple of reasons. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ, Jesus, 
to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Well, we need to read that again. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Why is that so important? Why were you so bold? Why did you keep reminding us of these things? Again, at the end of verse 16, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And then he writes, in Christ Jesus, that's a key phrase, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. If you only see the second half of that verse, you'll miss and you'll get the wrong intention of Paul. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. How? How's God been working through you, Paul? By word and deed. By the power of signs and wonders. By the power of the Spirit of God. So that, not bragging, just being factual here, Paul says, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, 1,400 miles, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition. Paul, what's your ambition? I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named lest I build on someone else's foundation. It's not an arrogance. It's a calling for Paul. Paul says, but as it is written, and he quotes Isaiah, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. There's a lot in this text, more than we'll get to today in this paragraph. I'll go ahead and mention that. We'll not complete the paragraph. Lord willing, complete it next week. But would you notice a few things with me this morning out of this text? I think are pretty clear. Uh, And as we build this out this week and next week, literally, I'm apologizing for the alliteration. I don't don't go out of my way. In fact, it kind of irritates me when preachers do alliteration just to kind of make it be alliterated and kind of going way off track to make a point. Literally, hopefully you'll see these things in the text as we go through them this week and next. Uh, That's what the text is saying, number one. You want to write it down. What do we see here? Verse 14, Paul was pleased with the church in Rome. Paul was very, very pleased with the church in Rome. Verse 14, listen to your Bible again. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves, I'm satisfied that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Hey, look this way. As Paul was evaluating The church in Rome, he had never been there, but he's going by everything that he's ever heard, reports, and he keeps getting the same thing. Back in chapter 1, he says, your faith is like worldwide. People know about you guys. But all of these reports, here's what I've learned. You are a church of vibrant Christians. You're a vibrant Christian community, and here's the reason. You guys know God. I like wording it that way. We did that Wednesday night the last couple of weeks. You do not just know about God, some facts and some theology. You've learned some doctrine. You're pretty good at your reading. You have good retention. No, they know God, the person, and they know the theology and the doctrine. He says, I know you're filled with knowledge. But you let that knowledge flow through you and you affect other people's lives. You train people. Look at verse 14 again. You yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Do you get what he's saying? Hey, Romans, you guys are not mere receivers. You're receivers to be reproducers. You really do listen and learn, not just for yourself to get stronger, but you take this attitude. I'm going to take what I'm learning. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to pass it on. I'm going to invest in some other people's lives. Paul says that. I'm satisfied in that. I'm convinced in that. He is pleased by that. Notice a key word in verse 14. You're able to instruct one another. That's a strong word. I want you to feel it this morning. You are able to instruct one another. 
The word instruct here means several things. I wish I had time just to go slowly and we could taste each word. It means you're able to admonish. You're able to, you, if Paul were here this morning, you were the Romans, he would say, you know what I've learned? You are able to counsel one another. You are able to give advice to each other, even, listen, warn each other. You are able to warn each other and you encourage each other. All of that is included in the word instruct. I have no one in mind, the Lord knows, but somebody, more than somebody, several people in this auditorium this morning, you have been poured into through the years, you know God, you know about God, you know His Word, but all of this that's been flowing into you, and I'm not being mean, this is just a fact, watch, until now, up until now, it has yet to flow out of you into other people. You literally, you're sitting there, you know way more than you think you know. If you were given a test, you would get the right answers. And these are the things that please God, and these are the things that displease God. But it's all just kind of stopping with you, and and you're kind of consumed with your holiness and your walk with the Lord, which is a good thing. But it is stopping with you. That's not what Paul is saying of this church. He's saying, I am pleased, satisfied, convinced about you that you are able to instruct, exhort, admonish, advise, warn, counsel, encourage one another. MacArthur writes of this word instruct the following, quote, Paul is not referring to a special gift of counseling. So don't do that. Well, that's her thing. She's good at that. Or he's really good at that. That's their gift. They're trained in that. MacArthur writes, Paul is not referring to a special gift of counseling, but of a duty and responsibility for every believer that they have for encouraging and strengthening other believers. It's a duty. It's a responsibility. It's not like, yeah, that's, they're good at that. I'm over here. That's not, I'm not good at talking. All believers, in fact, I have a lengthy quote. And I know that most of my first point here are quotes, and I don't usually do that. But this one kind of is personal, and it's his experience. There's a man named Richard Halverson. I'm assuming he has passed away. I'm assuming this was written over half a century ago because of one of the dates that he puts in here. I should have just looked at my book and I would have known. I'm confident it was over 50 or 60 years ago. So what he says then, you will notice, is still very true today. So again, Paul says, you guys are able to instruct each other, 56 AD. Halverson writes the following in the middle of the 1900s. Quote, we've come a long way since that day in Rome. It is now a one-way proposition. The congregation gathers in the sanctuary on Sunday morning. I'm skipping ahead in his quote, but getting the idea. The congregation gathers in the sanctuary on Sunday morning expecting to be taught. Now listen, that is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. This is a good thing. We should expect it. We're going to get in the Bible today, aren't we? Well, of course we are. We're meeting, right? But he continues. Almost imperceptibly... We have introduced into Protestantism the idea that there is somebody, notice singular, somebody who has unique authority to interpret the Scriptures. By the way, here's how we think of them. They're the one, they have the pulpit and the microphone. Did you catch what he says? We've come a long way, almost imperceptibly, We've introduced the idea there's somebody who has unique authority to interpret the Scriptures. Almost without realizing it, we have established a spiritual hierarchy. These people here that do this, they're up here. He continues a little later in his comments. Get this. Here's his personal story. He says, I have given my own self since 1947 to a ministry of meeting in small groups. They're not new. They're old. He says, I've given myself to this for, since 1947, meeting in small groups, encouraging inductive Bible study. That's the purpose of their particular group. Inductive Bible study. Line by line, word by word, put it all together. Let's get the history and the grammar and what's the text really saying. And he says, one of my biggest hurdles that I had to surmount was, all right, Dr. Halverson, what's one of the things you noticed? What's the, one of the dynamics? What's one of the struggles? He says, one of the things that really had to be overcome was my presence. As a, quote, professional. Did you catch what he's saying? I want to be in the small group, but me being in the small group really messes up the whole dynamic of the small group. 
He tells why. He says several things would happen. He noticed this dynamic. He lists two. Number one, here's the first dynamic. He says most of the people in the group were unwilling to express what they felt about a passage of Scripture or to ask a question because they felt they would be embarrassed by their ignorance. So here he is in a small group. Everybody knows that. He's the pastor. He's the author. He's real smart. He's a theologian. He's got his doctor degree. I'm not saying anything until he says something. Then he says they would wait for the, quote, authority to speak. Another reaction, a different one, similar though. He says the second group, some men would participate in these small groups, but their attitude was tentative or apologetic. They would expect the pastor to have, in their minds, not the first word, but they're coming out kind of tentative, unsure, not very authoritative, not very strong, apologetically. Why? Because he's going to have the final word as though to set the matter straight. Did you catch the dynamic? So here he is. He walks in. Uh-oh, Dr. Halverson's here. I'm not saying anything. Well, I'll say something, but we'll let him close and correct us all. And he writes the following. He says, often a pastor feels that people will not allow him to come, sit quietly, and be taught by others. Paul looks at the Roman church and he does not see that dynamic. By the way, I want to say how blessed I am. In the last couple of years, I think I've been to home groups that have had four or five different leaders and literally each of the men, I'll not embarrass them by saying their names now, but I just wrote, I appreciate this one, this one, this one, this one, each one of them, because I was able to go and sit, and they just ran with it and got cross-activity, and not everyone's just sitting there, well, what is Jeff going to say? Don't do that. Completing Halverson's comments, the following. He says, in apostolic times, every Christian was a teacher, not in a professional sense, but in the sense of a witness. A witness. A witness saw, heard, felt, experienced something. They're the only one that can tell what they saw, heard, felt, what they've gone through. I don't know what you got. I know this, and they can come out strong and say, this is my story. This is what I'm sure of. And they can come out confidently. So he says in apostolic times, every Christian was a teacher. In the sense of being a witness. It was not a one-way proposition as though interpretation belonged exclusively to a special class of people. So as I look at verse 14, I'm going to tell you what I see. I think Paul is kind of like a pastor who's not even been to Rome yet. But he's saying, I'm so pleased you guys are able to instruct, admonish, encourage, warn, counsel, advise each other. And I love it. You don't even have a, an apostle there. You were not founded by an apostle. But you guys have been growing for the last 25 years all on your own. I love that about you. Do you know the takeaway? Before we look at the second thought today... If I were to just step down and say, okay, that's what that text is talking about. So what does that have to do with grace view this morning? I think the points of emphasis are clear, so I'll make it. Strive, grace view, strive. Strive to be able. I want you to take this corporately as a group. I want us to be this kind of church. I hope you'll hear this personally. I hope literally you'll hear this challenge and say, I want to be that kind of Christian. Strive to be able to counsel. Strive to be able to advise, to encourage, to warn, to instruct each other biblically. It might be here. Listen, on a Wednesday night, if you never make it into the adult service because you needed to pull off into a side room and just encourage, instruct, warn, rebuke another Christian all in love, the truth in love, then that's fine. Or we're going to be a little bit late. This, we're just getting caught up. Hey, minister to each other. That's super important. That's so important. The need for one-on-one -on -one or two-on-two. Deanna and I were doing that Thursday night, just two-on-two. -two. We listened 80% of the time, literally 80% of the time. She and I with a, with a couple other people just listen, listen, listen. And we offered maybe 20% of the content. Strive to be that way. You. If you're sitting there saying, I'm shy, I'm not outgoing, God is pouring into you. Don't let it stop with you. Let it flow through you. I think the lessons are pretty clear. Whether in a Sunday school, be part of it. In a living room, at a restaurant, at a coffee shop, on the phone, 
Ask the Lord, Lord, make me the kind of Christian. Lord, give me such a real time with you, such a real experience. Give me ears to hear the truth in my private time and in public. Lord, fill me so much with truth that when I just get bumped, man, it just starts happening. It comes out. And you're sitting there saying, Jeff, how do we get to that point? Do you know how somebody just bumps you? You can start rattling off these stats and you can get not only the first string of your football team, your favorite college team, you can tell the backups' names and you can kind of tell the, the, the yards per carry and how, much your quarter, how many yards your quarterback has and how many touchdowns and interceptions. You're like, yeah, I just kind of get engrossed in it. I just go headlong in it. And I just kind of saturate myself. That's how you get able to instruct one another in Christ. I think a lesson is this. The work of instruction is too great for any pastor or two pastors or three pastors. We all must be willing to receive from each other, not just from a pulpit on Sunday morning. If you're only getting from a pulpit on Sunday morning at 1030, you're not being connected at other times, then you're probably not ministering like you could and should, and you're not receiving like you could or should. One last thought before we move to the second point. I mean this with all my heart. Hear me. You guys can do more in the course of a week as a group than I could ever do on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And, and Brandon could do Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And Mike could do Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And all the Sunday school teachers, I'm telling you, like, well, no, you're kind of getting up there. You're adding all the Sunday. I'm telling you, by the sheer numbers of you, if you will instruct and encourage and warn and counsel and advise each other in the Lord through the week, you will blow away what we do here. It is needed. It is much needed. There's too much advice that needs to be given throughout the week. Second thought in our text. Verse 15 and 16. Again, I apologize for the alliteration. Not only is Paul pleased with the church in Rome, Paul sees himself as a priest serving the Gentiles. Paul, what are you? I'm a priest serving the Gentiles. Look at verse 15. Paul says, but on some points. So, I, hey, listen, I'm very comfortable. I'm well aware you guys are able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Why? Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Look at the, again at the start of verse 15. Paul says, but on some points I have written to you very boldly. Hey, it is almost, notice I'm using the word almost. It's almost like Paul's apologizing. Hey, I know I just read a really long letter to you. I know I've come on pretty strong. Yeah, you've come on pretty strong. I've kind of got in your kitchen a little bit. Yeah, you did. Chapter 1, you got all over us, made us feel bad, and you got us wondering, you know, like, wow, are we unthankful? And if we're unthankful, is it going to result in us being that? Chapter 2, he starts going in some things. Chapter 3, there's not really, nobody's good, no one's right, no one's righteous. Chapter 4, he just keeps hitting this faith. Chapter 5, he, again, all down through. Chapter 9, he really blows our mind. Chapters 9, 10, and 11, chapter 12, he just keeps laying on again and again, really thick, and here's what they're asking Paul, why are you coming on so strong? Why are you all in our business? Here's Paul's answer. I got in your business because you are my business. Literally, you are my business. It's almost like he's apologizing, but he's not apologizing. I'm not apologizing. Yes, I have come on strong. Yes, I have spoken as an authority in these issues. But I do not apologize. You are my business. Why? God has assigned me as the apostle to you Gentiles. You started well. You started without an apostle. You, you're starting well. I have to make sure that you continue well. I have to make sure that you end well. I am going to give an account to God for the Gentiles. You fall under my ministry, though I've never been to Rome. Would you go with me? Let's see how this happened. Acts chapter 22. If you have your Bible, it would be really helpful. You might want to go over there. Acts chapter 22. Read just a few verses here. Paul is well aware of his calling to minister to the Gentiles. Acts 22, verse number 17. So he's sharing with the Sanhedrin. Chapter 22, and he's telling them his story. Actually, is he with the Sanhedrin? All right, yes. 
Look at verse number 17. So he's talking about how I left Jerusalem. I was in Jerusalem. I leave Jerusalem. I'm heading north 150, 175 miles up to Damascus. Right before I get to the city of Damascus, the Lord Jesus Christ himself overwhelms me, blinds me. I see him as a bright light. I thought he was dead. I was there going to kill people who believed in him, calling themselves Christians. I'm going to slaughter them just like I did Christians down in Jerusalem. And some of them have fled to Damascus. I'm going to hunt them down as well. Paul gets almost to Damascus. And this experience where he meets the Lord Jesus Christ happens. He's blinded for three days. A man named Ananias lays his hand on Paul. Paul receives his sight. Paul gets baptized. And then sometime after, look at verse 17, watch what happened. Paul says, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple. So this is later. So he gets saved in Damascus. Sometime later, he's 150, 175 miles down in Jerusalem. When I had returned to Jerusalem... And was, so picture it, temple's not there now, but it was then. I was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance. What's that like? He says, I saw him, Christ, saying to me, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly. Literally, Jesus is talking to Paul, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Paul, you need to run, get out now, they are going to hate you. Your people are going to kill you, leave now. Verse 19, Paul decides it's a good time to have a conversation, a big debate, an argument with Jesus. So verse 19, I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, they know this about me. I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. Hey, they relate with me. They know this about me. They're going to believe me, verse 20. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed... Remember when they were stoning him? I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. They know this about me. They know I hated Christians. They have to admit something happened on the road to Damascus. He must have met Jesus because he was going 100 miles an hour this way. All of a sudden he turns and he's going 100 miles an hour the opposite direction. He, he, was, the, he was the worst persecutor of Christians. Now he's the most passionate Declare of Jesus Christ. Something happened. He, they, they will admit this, Paul thinks. Lord, you're making a huge mistake. I'm the guy. I'm the apostle to the Jews. They will listen. Verse 21. He said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul, that is not your call. Flip over to Romans 11. We read it a few months back. Romans chapter 11, verse number 13. So Paul says, you want to know how it happened? It was in the temple. I was praying and the Lord said, you're calling us to the Gentiles. Verse 13. Now I am speaking. So we're Romans 11, verse 13. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. I want to do such a great job. I want to see so many Gentiles come to Christ. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Paul says, I want to see so many Jews, uh, Gentiles come to Christ that the Jews will say, hey, wait a minute. Jehovah God is our God. Well, we're worshiping Him too. Well, we're looking for a Christ. Yes, Jesus is your Christ and He's our Christ. We're worshiping Him. You need to start worshiping We might even think about worshiping Jesus as the Christ, but we don't think He's the Christ because He's letting all of you worship Him. You guys cannot be the people of God. And what Paul is saying, I want to win so many Gentiles to Christ that the Jews just get eat up with jealousy and finally say, we want this relationship with God that the Gentiles have. And then Ephesians chapter 3. Would you flip over there? Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read this quickly. This gives us a good idea of what Paul's mindset is about his ministry to the Gentiles. He's called to be an apostle. Not his first choice. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul... The reason is because Jews and Gentiles are being built together into a dwelling. A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 3, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner, he's literally in prison. Why? A prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He's not casting blame. He's saying, 
I'm in prison because I dare to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And you guys are responding. My people, the Jews, are persecuting me. They've thrown me in jail. They were about to kill me. And I had to appeal, appeal my case to Nero. And I've been moved to Rome. And now I'm writing this letter from prison in Rome back to you Gentiles in Ephesus. Verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship. Stewardship means I've been made responsible for something. Something from someone very wealthy gave me something. Verse 2 again, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given. Grace means favor, a gift. The stewardship of God's grace, gift, favor that was given to me for you. How the, you're going to see this word over and over here. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly. He's talking about the first two chapters of this book, Ephesians. When you read this, this book of Ephesians, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul, you keep using this word mystery. What is the mystery? In case we've missed it, verse 6, here it is. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of this gospel. I was made a minister according to the gift. Keep notice his attitude. The gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me. Though I'm the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable Gentiles, come to Christ, unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul is giving us a, an overview Panning out and saying, here's what's been happening. Verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In whom, Jesus, in whom we, he's talking to Jews and Gentiles, we have boldness. Okay, anybody can have boldness. I've seen silly, foolish, stupid people have boldness. But Paul says, in Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Would you write it down? Did you catch Paul's attitude? His ministry was a toilsome, laborious, hard, difficult, full of persecution. Yet Paul's attitude is, I love my ministry. It's a gift. It's a grace gift. God graced me when He called me to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Romans chapter 15. Did you make your way back there? Romans 15. So Paul says, I see myself as this priest. And yes, I've come very bold. But I want you to see one more word in verse 15 before we look at verse 16. See it. You Romans, I'm very convinced. I'm satisfied. I'm pleased. You're able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly. By way of reminder. By way of reminder. I've learned this. All of us prefer new information over old information. Here, I'm going to tell you how you can tell. Today, I started with no review. Did you notice that? We did not read any verses before verse 14. Those of you who've been here for almost two years going through the book of Romans, you, there's, be honest, don't, don't make a countenance, okay? Don't give it away. But I know many of you are like, there he goes again. Why does he do these seven-minute reviews? We've been here. Hey, we've heard it. Just jump to the new stuff. That's why on the evenings and in the afternoons, you go home to watch the news. You don't go home to watch the olds. I want the news. We want new. We like new information. You keep giving us this old information. You know what Paul says? You know why I've been bold? You know why I keep reminding you of the basic things? You know why I keep reiterating the familiar themes and repeating them over and over? Because that's the best I can do for you. Sometimes the best that someone can do for us is to remind us of the things, the truths, the themes, the doctrines we forgot or haven't really forgotten them, but I'm not doing them yet. I have to hear it again. I'm going to share my testimony. This is me. You guys are a lot better than me. You're better than me. Here's what I found. 
A message on love, prayer, trust, witnessing, missions-mindedness, time in the Word. It's always timely for me. I mean, honestly, you could preach on prayer four or five weeks in a row. You'd get me every time. Preach on being mission-minded. Why? Because I get sucked into a whole other way of thinking. Preach on love. You want to talk about that one that gets me every time? I've never one day in my life measured up to love. You know what Paul says? I keep reminding and reminding and repeating over and over because we forget and because we have yet to live up to these things. These are the main things. Yes, we're going to introduce some news. Here's what Paul does. He introduces a topic. He goes deeper, 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 and then he moves on. He brings in another topic. What does he do? He keeps going back to that one. And he introduces this one, and he brings in another one. But he keeps going back to that one and that one. And it just keeps building out and building out. John, in 1 John, does it even more than Paul does in the book of Romans. Paul says, I am bold because of my calling. You are my business. I am reminding because we need to be reminded. I always think of golfers. These guys make millions, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions. And they get messed up. It doesn't take much. And so they hire someone to come and just stand and watch them that's an expert. Someone that has a good vantage point. And they video them. And before long, they're talking about the simplest of things. Well, let's talk about your grip. It's not right. It's about an eighth of an inch, quarter of an inch. You need to do that. Right? Let's talk about your stance. Look at your posture. What are you looking at? What is your thought process? Why are you using that? This is why I like to play golf with Tim Turner. Tim Turner is really good. He's really gracious, but he knows what he's talking about. He talks me off the ledge. Like, put that back in the back. Put that three-wood away or I'm going to break it. Grab the five-iron. And every time I listen to him, it always works. He needs to stop playing golf and just caddy for me, right? Because I need so much help, and he's so good at it. You know what Paul's doing? Fundamentals, fundamentals. I'm going to keep hitting you with the fundamentals. Look at verse 16. I do all of this because of the grace given to me. I keep reminding you. I'm very bold. Because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister. Mark that word. Somebody give me another word for minister. A minister is a... Say it. Servant. Minister sounds a lot fancier. We like that word. What are you? I'm a minister. Okay. Servant. Well, yeah. To be a minister of Christ Jesus, that's a key word. I can't go into all of it. I don't even understand all of it. I just know that anyone that I read had read of, of that word. They were all like, boy, this word and all the, the meanings of the word behind it. And how powerful and how important. And it kind of carries over to this next phrase. He says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service. Those two words, minister, priestly service. I'm going to cut to the chase. Here's what Paul is saying by using these two strong words. He's emphasizing, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and I do this willingly. I do it generously. I do it devotedly, energetically. I want to absolutely do my best. I'm telling you, if you were to go back in time, you could meet Paul 1900 and some years ago and you were to meet him. Hey man, what's your name? Saul Paulus. Saul Paulus, what do you do? Uh, what do you do? I'm a sent one. Sent one. Did you say sent? Yeah, I'm a sent one. Uh, we're called apostles. Apostles, sent ones. All right, man, you still, you haven't told me. What do you do? What do I do? I run errands and give messages. You run errands. <laughs> Dude, hate to tell you, it sounds like you're like some kind of servant. No, I'm not like a servant. I am a servant. You're admitting it? Oh, I'm more than admit it. I'm grateful. I am thankful. I delight. I'm a sent one. I give messages. I run errands. I am a servant. I am a sent one. I'm a minister. And I do it willingly and joyfully and I want to do it generously and accurately and the best I can. I wished I knew who, I, I sh- maybe should not have put it on your handout because I don't know who to give the quote to. I probably could have researched a little better. But would you write this down and mark it in your mind? Whether being a servant is a matter for pride or for shame, it all rides on one thing. Whose servant are you? Whether being a servant is a matter for pride or for shame depends on whose servant you are. 
Imagine running into someone and they say, you ask them, what do you do? I'm in service. Service. Okay, what kind of service? You run a route or no? My service is kind of secret. Oh. Secret service. Hey, what? What? You look kind of big and kind of cut and kind of strong. and You don't know the president, do you? A little bit. You ever see the president? Only every day. Do you ever touch the president? Only every day. Usually on the arm, sometimes on the shoulder. You know the president. <laughs> you, you, you serve the president. Absolutely. Do your parents know that? Don't get my mom started. If you ever meet my mom, all she's going to talk about is, Oh, my son, he's in the same service. You like your job? No, I love my job. How much they pay? It ain't about to pay. Love my job. I don't want to do anything else. This is what I want to do. Because I get to serve the president. You know what Paul says? President, kings, lords, put them all together. I serve the one who's the king over all the kings, who's the lord over all the lords. I serve him. It's a matter of pride. I get to serve Christ. Would you look one more time, verse 16. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I see myself in priestly service. I want to make something really clear. There is only one mediator between God and man. So here's God and all of mankind. Only one mediator. Only one go-between. If you want to go to heaven, you must go through Christ. If you want to pray, you have to go through Christ. If you want a relationship with God in this life, it must be through Christ. Only around here, we we have no room set aside. We don't take calls and schedule sessions for people to swing by the church and meet with one of the pastors. I just need to kind of confess my sins. We don't do that nonsense. We have our own problems. You confess your sins to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You confess your sins to Him. We don't do that. But here's what the text says. God also uses all of His people as priests to offer offerings to God. Paul's attitude, again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. Look at this text. 1 Peter chapter 2, here's what the Bible says of us all. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What's Paul saying in verse 16? Get it. Just as in the Old Testament, priests worked and served so that they can offer sacrifices to God. Here's Paul's attitude. Gentiles... I want to work with you so much that you are not just saved and not just informed. And people with my gift set have to remember it is not enough to get them just saved. It's not enough just to get people informed. The goal is that they will be obedient in verse 18, that they will be set apart, sanctified, become Christ-like, that they will become literally acceptable offerings to the Lord. Paul says, all of you Gentiles, if you're a Gentile, I am too. Here we are reading his book, still being discipled by him. Paul says, all of you Gentiles, you are my offering to God, and I want you to be an acceptable offering. I want you to be set apart. I want the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Don't just be saved. Don't just be informed. Be growing. Become more and more like Christ. I didn't think of it this way, and this is not a direct quote, but John R.W. Stott pointed out this. Gentiles. We go from not even being permitted in the temple in the Old Testament in the time of Christ. You couldn't get in. You have a court of the Gentiles, but then you have a court of the women further in. That was Jewish women, and then the Jewish men, and then the Levites, and then the priests, and ultimately the high priests. Hey, Gentiles, you couldn't even get into the temple to offer an offering. And now, you are the offering that is pleasing to God. You know what an offering is? It's presenting this and saying, here, Does this please you? Does this make you happy? Paul says, Gentiles, I want to work with you so much that you are an acceptable, pleasing, set-apart, sanctified, Christ-like offering to God. So here's what we ask ourselves. Jeff, what does that have to do with us? Let that motivate you. Christian, Let Paul's mentality motivate you, honestly, right now in your heart. 
think this thought. God, help me to have a mentality of having my own converts that, I, that you use me to minister to them. Lord, I don't want to stand empty-handed before the Lord Jesus Christ one day. I want to offer you converts that have been made acceptable by obedience and sanctification through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, don't let me come in front of you just saved. Every pastor, every Sunday school teacher in this room right now should have as a mentality, God, this group that you are working toward and to through me. Help me. I I don't own them, but help me to kind of along with you take ownership of my group, God. Help me to really pour my heart into this so that my desire is to present them as an offering that is acceptable to you. I tell Brandon, Brandon, man, make your heart's desire to really see that children, those children just becoming more and more like Christ. I would tell Mike, have that same attitude with our students and our men. And I would say the same thing to me as all of you. I would say that to you as a parent. Really desire to offer your children as a neighbor, as a coach. Boy, there's a strong relationship there. If you're a coach, if you're a teacher, if you're an employer, an employee, God, help me to use that as an offering of those people to your service. Paul saw himself as a priest serving the Gentiles. And Paul was very pleased with the Roman church. And then thirdly, we'll get it next week. Uh See, I knew I was stopping after the second point. And you're sitting there saying, and bless their hearts, those people in the sound booth are going, he's not even through half the slides. Oh, my goodness. We're going to be here to 1 o'clock. No, we're not. Will you give me like four minutes? Give me four minutes. By 10 o'clock, I decided that we would only do two points. And by the way, there's a fourth point that I literally chopped off. And you'll see what the alliteration is. I, I literally, I was frustrated. Like, it really takes four, but I don't have time but for three. And God's like, no, you don't have time but for two. So we'll get, we'll get the third and the fourth next week, Lord willing. But for some reason, about 10 o'clock, I don't know why. This is maybe not you, but it might be the person beside you. I want to finish with this thought. It might be for one person, and that's fine. Be patient if it's for one. There was a time in Paul's ministry that he wanted a different calling than the one God had for him. Did you catch that in chapter 22 of Acts? I'll catch that. No, Lord, don't listen to me. I want to be a disciple. I want to be an apostle to the Jews. I want to be another one of those. And God says, nope. My will is going to override your will. That's what you want. I'm going to change your plans to my plans that's not your calling. You will be the apostle to the Gentiles. And I've got to say, I'm so glad God did that. I like John, and I like Peter. Paul's my favorite. He's ours. And I think it's safe to say, if you go back and read this chapter, this passage, verse 15, 16, and following, and I think if you were to read again Ephesians chapter 3, he keeps t- talk- talking about his calling is this gift. It's this grace. I'm the least of the saints. I can't believe God actually let me do this with the Gentiles. But that's not his first thought. His first thought was, I want to be another apostle to the Jews. And yet Paul eventually saw the wisdom of God. I believe his love, I know for a fact, his love for the Jews never wavered. He still ministered to them when he could. When he went to a new city, he always started with the Jews. A few would get saved, most would reject, and then he would go to his main calling. It was proper to start with the Jews because the gospel goes to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And so Paul would always do that, but ultimately his main calling was to us. Not his, not his desire, not his first wish, but it grew on him. And I believe that love for the Jews never died, but God started giving Paul a passion for Gentiles. You say, Jeff, what does that have to do with us? Maybe. One person is here this morning and God has changed your anticipated plan for your life. He's changed it. It's not the one you thought. I thought we're doing this and now we're doing that. And here's the thing. Unlike Paul, you're sitting there right now. You have yet to see God's wisdom. You're like, I acknowledge it. I just don't see the wisdom of it. God, I really, I think my way would have. Can I encourage you this morning? Would you by faith just trust? You've trusted God in other things. Would you just by faith trust God, Lord? I don't even see your wisdom in it. 
But you did this with Paul. And so, Lord, I'm going to trust you do know the best. You want the best. You see the end from the beginning. And so, Lord, I'm going to trust you in this. In fact, I'm going to go so far. Watch this. God, I'm going to say thank you for putting me where you have me. It's not my choice. But, Lord, I pray you'll make me fruitful right, right where I am. Would you close your eyes just for a moment? Just for a moment. I want to invite you. Continue the thought we were just on. All through the auditorium, would you take a moment to acknowledge the sovereignty of God? You heard Mike speak about it earlier. Would you just acknowledge, Lord, you've placed me where you have. And God, I want to give you thanks. By faith, Lord, I'm trusting your wisdom. I'm trusting your love. You know what you're doing. You have clearly changed the plan that I thought. And Lord, I want to thank you for this opportunity to serve you. I pray that I will do it with a willing attitude of that of a servant priest. Talk to the Lord right now. Bring Him into your recognition. Recognize His presence. Enjoy His presence and surrender to His sovereignty over your life. Secondly, I want to invite you to do this right where you sit. I pray that some Christians right now would pray this. Lord, would you make me a Christian who properly instructs others? Lord, just like the Roman church, I pray that you will make me able and willing to admonish, counsel, advise, warn, encourage other believers biblically. Lord, help me to give them the truth and love and to receive that. Lord, make me that kind where the, the flow does not just stop with me. I want to be more than a hearer. I want to be a doer of the word. I want to be more than a receiver. I want to be a reproducer. Would you just pray that to the Lord? God, make me one who is able to instruct others. And then lastly, would you do this? Ask God right now, God, since I know I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day, I don't want to be empty-handed. Would you give me some converts to Christ and help me to be part of their discipleship to where they, be, they grow to become an acceptable offering sanctified by the power of the Spirit. Lord, use me to influence others. Not just to speak into them, but Lord, just to live life, stay the process, really see them be acceptable offerings to Christ. Lord, you've heard these requests. Lord, for the one person, I have no idea who that is, but they're struggling with how you've changed their plans. Lord, I pray they would see that your plan is best and now Paul in heaven would not change a thing. Father, would you make each one here, every true Christian, grow in their relationship with you and in their knowledge of God, Lord, to where when they rub against each other in life, they instruct each other and we multiply the work. Father, I pray that you would put within our heart an insatiable desire that never stops that we want to present an acceptable offering of saints to you as you work through us. Would you stand?